We're talking Switchblade games, we're talking Collar Up and Collar Down, and we're talking Muffy and Buffy. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking what may be the most unusual sex position I have ever seen in a non-pornographic film. I tried to consult the Kama Sutra, (laughs) think I maybe found it, but it doesn't have a title, so consider yourself warned. It's so funny because this isn't our, oh sorry everyone, Um, A, happy April Fool's Day, and B, we're talking the 1986 slasher, quote unquote, April Fool's Day. (laughs) Did you get the whoopee cushion I slid under your seat? I, okay, so I had seen this movie for the first time, uh, like, four years ago. It was when I had just started writing for Bloody, and I was, like, looking for things to write about, and I was like, oh, April Fool's Day, I'm gonna write about that. Right. I remember liking it quite a bit, um, despite <laughs> knowing the twist when I walked into it. Uh, yeah, folks, if you have not seen this film, as always, we are going to spoil it, but this is one of those ones that it's just a lot of fun to just watch it, and then come back and listen to us, because it is a little bit different than the other slashers you might have seen. And this is your chance to stop, because I'm going to say something right now. Okay, do it. I enjoyed it more on my first viewing. I think knowing the twist, it was kind of fun to put it together, but it or like watch how it was all playing out. But, mm-hmm. well, honestly, it, it was Deborah Foreman. Watching her knowing like what she was doing, that was the most yeah. fun for me on a rewatch. But right. I kind of thought this dragged a little bit of, like for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, particularly when you start to pay attention to the logistics, there's so much that could go wrong, and quite a few <laughs> things that do not make sense. No, yeah, and so it's like, you know, watching The Perfection, a rewatch on that, which is, it's it's fun to, like, put the pieces together. This one right. doesn't really have that quality for me. Not quite as much, no. No. And your comment about it feeling a little draggy, I will say I kind of feel the same, And that's before that potential additional content that they were considering tacking onto the ending, which we'll get to. Yes, Uh, I knew I know a little bit about that. So you're going to have to kind of enlighten me. But yes, there's apparently a lot of stuff that was just cut out of the ending or well, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, do do we have anything to say? We just want to dive right into this shit. I think just dive into it. All right. Oh, um, important to note too, everyone. Um, recently, Scream Factory or Shout Factory mm-hmm. released a Blu-ray of this, um, which I do not have, but Joe does. And mm-hmm. apparently, how is that video transfer? The video transfer looks good. It has not the best lit interview with director Fed Walton, which seems to take place inside a children's bedroom, which made me mildly uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more bare bones than I'm used to, but the transfer alone was kind of great, because particularly when you see the opening shots of Chaz doing the videography, yes. and you're like, this looks bad. And then it gets really crisp right after that. I streamed this on Amazon Prime, and so... You can stream it um, standard or high definition, and I always go for standard because it's usually a dollar cheaper. Um, if it's the okay. same price, then I'll go for high definition. But yeah, when I started, I was like, oh, oh, mm-hmm. oh, this looks terrible. She's grainy as fuck. 
<laughs> yeah, which is why you spring for like high quality like 4K Blu-ray if you can. <laughs> right. No, and, and it, it's but again, I appreciate how it went from pan and scan to widescreen format after that because I, I had forgotten most of this movie minus the twist. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, so yes, um, April Fool's Day released March twenty eighth, nineteen eighty six. Released by Paramount Pictures, uh, which by this point was very well known for releasing all the Friday the 13th films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we are looking at a runtime of 89 minutes, love that, and a budget of $5 million, which is kind of good because looking at the box office, so this movie was considered unsuccessful. <laughs> yeah. It opened at number six uh, with $3.3 million, and it went on to gross $13 million, so it did make its money back, but I, I'm guessing just word of mouth because... I like the twist in this movie. I think okay. what hurts it is people going in expecting that is a bunch of yous going into the theater in 1986. <laughs> and for those of you who are joining us late in the game, by that trace means people who went in with expectations and those expectations were not met. Yeah, exactly. Because you go into this movie expecting a slasher film and it is not... A slasher film, really. This is true. Although I would actually say that that's the primary reason that I hold this film with so much affection in my heart is because it knows that you think it's a slasher film and then Mm -hmm. it subverts those expectations with its final twist, which just kind of endears it to me all the more. I agree. I think had this come out, well, hey, I mean, there was a remake, which I've seen, but I remember nothing about. It kind of mixes, like, the concept of this film with I Know What You Did Last Summer. Like, prank gone wrong, someone dies, and then, like, a year later, they come back and, you know, oh, is it the dead person that's pranking them? Blah, 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 blah. It's not good. But (laughs) I think... Because watching it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's really not that gory. Because when I, when I was doing my research, I had read that um, it actually became a cult classic because so yes. many cable networks played this movie because it wasn't mm. violent. Nope. There's a lot of swearing. Yes. There's a lot of swearing. A little bit of nudity and not a ton of gore. Well, and that's the thing, though. I mean, and in retrospect, or in hindsight, all the gore is fake. I mean, mm-hmm. within the world of the film. Yes, and Fred Walton actually talks a little bit about that in the interview on the Scream Factory Blu-ray, where he talks about, like, that was kind of one of the things that they tried to use to sneak by the MPAA, and it Mm -hmm. sounds like it didn't quite work. Well, the first scene has him, like, having a bunch of people saying they fuck on the first date, so that's immediately gonna go out the window. But (laughs) I think if you make this today, I think you make it PG-13, because... Yeah, you don't need to show super gory stuff because then it would be unconvincing when you get to the twist. Like, oh, well, how the fuck did they do that? Right. Because I'm thinking, like, you know, you're you're talking about seasoned horror going to see this movie, a slasher film, and it's rated R, but then it's not gory. I don't know. I feel like that would play with people today and be like where they would call the twist. I mean, granted, of course, you release this today and you call it April Fool's Day. People are going to know what it is. But, you know, (laughs) something like this. Which, oh, actually... The best modern day interpretation of this, spoiler mm-hmm. alert, is the 2004 film Cry Wolf. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Because that essentially does the same thing where it's a PG 13 slap, quote unquote, slasher film, and none <clears throat> of it's real. Yeah. Oh, talk about a film I've forgotten everything about. I think that has Jared Padalecki in it. No, it's, no. it's, oh my God. I, I think it's Kevin Zegers. Sorry. I'm, I have to look this up. It's definitely Lindy Booth. Right. Yes. Let's see. Oh my god, that's their other one that they did together, right? Because they did Dawn of the Dead remake, and then right. they did some other shit. Uh, they, well, they did Wrong Turn together. Oh no, oh fuck, you're right, it is yes. Jerry Padalecki. Yes, yes, Oh yes. my god, did not know that. 
Gary Cole, Lindy Booth, John Bon Jovi, and Julian Morris, who is, you may not know that name off the top of your head, but he is the killer in Sorority Row. Hmm. Okay. Well, shit. Now I want to rewatch this movie. <laughs> All right. Cry Wolf, let's cue this bitch up. Oh, no, wait. That's not what we're doing. No, sorry. We're going back to April Fool's Day. Um, yes. So this movie, uh, we're looking at the 38% of Rotten Tomatoes. Only 16 reviews, but at the time it was not well received by critics who either yeah. didn't like the twist ending or just didn't like the fact that it was a slasher film before the twist ending. I think the latter, because look at the year. At this point, mm-hmm. the slasher saturation point has been both met and exceeded. I think people were like, fuck these movies. We're done with them. Well, this came out in 86. This was the year that Friday the 13th went meta with part six, Jason Lives. So. By this point, yeah, people were like, I mean, this is kind of where we're seeing the decline of the slasher era. For sure, for sure. Look at that $13 million gross, right? Right, but minus Dream Warriors, which would come out the next year, and then make bank. But, God, I still forget that. I always think that Nightmare on Elm Street is coming out at the same time as Friday the 13th. And, right? like, they're declining at the same time. Every time someone reminds me, I'm like, wait, what, what? Well, that's the thing. With Friday, it's like, it's 80, 81, 82, Mm-hmm. They skipped 83, and then it was 84 for part four, then 85 for five, 86 for six, and oh. I kind of lose it after that. But I'm pretty sure it's 87, 80, 89. <laughs> I mean, it's um, And then, yeah, like Nightmare starts in 84. Anyway, sorry, that's mm-hmm. a digression. <laughs> Letterbox score for this film is a six out of ten. So people do like this, and I actually saw a lot of people. Um, I mean, it's for the most part, considered a classic slasher film nowadays, but I feel like it's honestly forgotten, so hopefully that new Scream Factory Blue brings people back into the know of this film. Yeah, like, if people haven't seen this, and you didn't turn this off when we advised you to, and you're still thinking about it, I definitely strongly recommend it. It honestly just feels... I don't know, it feels a touch more mature. It does. We're gonna get into it when we talk about the characters, but I think these people are a bunch of assholes, and I totally no! like them. No, but I like that. Okay, I was going to say, no. Like, they are the assholes that you went to college with, and you think, these people are kind of fuckers, and yes, I will go to a secluded island retreat with them. It reminded me, honestly, of, of My Bloody Valentine. Not in the yes. sense that they were all assholes, but like, yeah, it's a bunch of adults, you know? Mm-hmm. And yes, I guess maybe th- there's douchebag qualities to a lot of the men. I actually like all the women. Uh, maybe Nikki mm-hmm. has like kind of a tendency to be kind of a bitch, but like... Eh. But like a fun bitch. Yes, but well, <laughs> but the difference is though they all like each other. They all yes, like each other. Nan. <laughs> Nobody <Yes>. likes Nan. <laughs> that will be my one qualm, not because they don't like her, but because her abortion subplot is like so. Oof. Ooh. It's so <laughs> I don't even weird. know. I'm gonna say mishandled, but I'm like I don't even think it, it's not even handled. Like it's they don't no. do anything with it. <laughs> it's a why is this even fucking in here? Yeah. No, I I agree. But yeah, part of the reason why my review was so high was because I was like, you know what? It's amazing how good a slasher can be Mm -hmm. when the characters all like each other and when you like them. And the thing is, is that we're actually spending a fair amount of time with these people. Like, the film takes its time, so we actually get to know these people. And then, even when it starts to bump them off, it doesn't even bump them off in the order I expected. Um... Mm, maybe maybe I, I didn't think about it that much I, maybe again because rewatching it i knew what was happening so i didn't even think about it as oh like the order they're dying so maybe we can discuss that as we get into it sure before we go into your plot i do want to point out as you mentioned joe uh, fred walton directed this movie people may know him as the director of when a stranger calls mm-hmm. so that and this are kind of his two big things he really left hollywood after uh i think 88 yeah it's 
crazy. His career is like basically a couple of years turnaround. And then amusingly enough, he ended up retiring to Victoria Island, which is where this film was shot, because his wife liked the way that people treated children. So they were like, let's raise our kids here. <laughs> oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. And then in terms of, I mean, we'll go to the actress when we talk about it, but I do want to point out as well, um, we have a horror connection with the composer, Charles Bernstein, who did the score for this, but also Nightmare on Elm Street and Cujo right. and Deadly Friend. But um, he, he apparently has been a Wes Craven, like a friend of his for a while. Right. And then... Sorry, I just thought of how funny it would be if like a friend of Wes Craven was like nomenclature to talk about horror people. Like, you know how <laughs> gays are a friend of Dorothy and it's like, and if you're a friend of Wes Craven. <laughs> that is great. Yes, let's do that. Um, I just think this is interesting. So the cinematographer and editor, uh, cinematographer is Charles Minsky and the editor is Bruce Green. So they both have kind of gone into comedies after this. Which interesting. It okay. maybe makes sense, but the, here's the weird connection. They both worked on a bunch of Gary Marshall films. And by a bunch of Gary Marshall oh, films, like I mean them. the bad ones. Like oh, Valent no! Valentine's Day, Mother's oh, Day, no. oh, New gross. Year's Eve. <laughs> Ew, I hate all of those. <laughs> they both worked on those films. But uh, editor Bruce Green did happen to edit Friday the 13th, part 5 and 6. But then he moves into Cool Runnings, Home Alone hmm. 3, Raising Helen, the Freaky Friday remake with uh, Lindsay Lohan, and then all those <laughs> Gary Marshall movies. <laughs> wow. We have seen this before, right? We have seen people transition. It seems like it's a hard left turn. But if you think about it, there is a lot of distinctions between like a horror set piece and the way that you would film and edit that. And then mm -hmm. also the way that you might do like a comedy gag. Well, and I think moving from something like Friday the 13th to this to that does kind of make sense because we're it's a safe space. The Friday the 13th films, with the exception of part two, aren't really very scary. True. <laughs> they, they really rely honestly more on like gotcha and honestly comedy, especially once you move past part six. Right. And this film is like a full blown horror comedy. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I would even call this a comedy that much, to be honest. It's it's like a horror dr drama, maybe. I I don't I don't know. Well, it's interesting that you say that because the character of Arch, one of mm -hmm. the main guys, played by Thomas F. Wilson, who listeners might know as Biff from Back to the Future, or if you're like me and you watch Legends of Tomorrow, he is Hank Haywood, Nate Haywood's father. Right to the <laughs> latter, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But apparently he was actually cast because of his comedic improv skills. So there was a lot of riffing that was happening on this set. Apparently Fred Walton even said that the responses that the girls give in the Cosmo quiz scene, all the girls made up their own answers. It wasn't scripted at all. So I get the impression that even though this film technically has a screenwriter, <laughs> uh, Danilo Bach, don't know. Uh, so Danilo, but he's done. He's written no other major films. Um, but he does have a co-story credit for the first Beverly Hills Cop movie. But he didn't actually write any of the screenplay. Okay, interesting. So this is his only. This is his only hurrah. Well, and here's the thing. I got the impression from Fred Walton's interview on the Blu-ray disc that he did some rewrites on this script, and then the cast was also ad-libbing. So. Mm. Well, I mean, he doesn't say, like, I wrote this script, but he's very much saying it was something that they collaborated on, and then they were yeah. kind of, like, juicing up as they were shooting. Well, that's kind of the thing, though, right? Like, 
to be honest, I enjoyed the first half of this film more than I enjoyed the second half because I actually liked just kind of hanging out with these characters. Even Arch, who is kind of the asshole of the group. Well, I mean, really, it's him and Chaz, probably. Yeah. I liked both of them so much. Whenever Arch is doing his thing where he's like, hello, like his like gay mm-hmm. interview, I yeah. found it incredibly charming. I don't know if I was supposed to or not, but I did. <laughs> I guess it depends how you feel about Nan, too, considering he is making fun of her. Yes, he absolutely is. Uh, but yeah. Okay, well, that's yeah. it. Why don't we dive into this plot? There is one other thing that I want to talk about before mm. we get into the plot, which is the poster for this film. So... Oh. One of the reasons that I gravitated to this film, this was actually one of the first horror films that I really checked out after my sister introduced me to the Clyde Barker set that I yeah. always talk about, Hellraiser mm-hmm. and Candyman. And it was because the poster art for the 86 VHS cover is a woman with a knife behind her back. She's toasting with the other arm and her hair is a motherfucking noose. Yeah. And I love it. Like, love, love, love it. Yeah, it's, it's one of those blockbuster VHS covers that I always saw and I always wanted to see and I just never saw it until like four years ago. Um, it's so striking. It's gorgeous. Um, I, do you flip your Scream Factory covers? Uh, we talked about this a little bit on the blog and okay. I had actually never done that until you and Megan talked about it. And, well, we did mildly make fun of the covers for the blob and we also did it again for road games when we talked (laughs) about that in our editorial for this month (laughs) or last month rather i gotta say the cover art for the blu-ray that scream factory just released is also really great like i actually legitimately really like it i like it too and again i I don't flip my i never do um but because yes that that original vhs cover is so like imprinted in my mind I, mm-hmm. I think I might flip it. I think I might. Oh, really? I don't okay. know. We're going to see. We're going to cool, see. Cool. I, it'll have the slip cover, so it's like I'll still have that. Oh, yeah, for sure. It'll be there <laughs> if you want it. You can you can look at the dolls if you want to, or you can look at the hair noose if you want to. There you go. <laughs> okay, let's do this. Yes. So we begin with a group of horny college kids who are being interviewed on video camera at the ferry dock in advance of a weekend retreat on a secluded island with their childhood friend, Muffy, Deborah Foreman. I, okay. <laughs> the name Muffy? The name Muffy. I, I. Muffy St. John. It's so pretentious and awful and I love it. <laughs> oh, also, we have talked about this a thousand times. So, yes, she she is known primarily for being the Valley Girl in Valley Girl. But mm-hmm. she's also in, returning horror queers mention that we have to cover one day, Waxwork. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a callback to uh, the Blob episode, if people remember. And I think Vamp. Oh, wait. Yes. And Vamp. I think we talked about it in Vamp, too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Jesus. Waxwork. What is going on? How come you are in our subconscious? That's literally what you said in the Vamp episode, I think. <laughs> cool well i do like to repeat myself it's okay so do i obviously (laughs) listeners we apologize like we don't remember everything we said three weeks ago so (laughs) i don't remember what i said two minutes ago no 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 no. no, but if you're if you if you're just now joining our podcast ignore all that or tell us if you want it on a t-shirt at t public oh my god it's in my housekeeping, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's called organic. You work it in organically. Yeah, it's fine. That's fine. Because people tune us out. That's why people are like, what movie are you covering next week? And we're like, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> we don't actually say fuck you. We do. Under but our we, breath. But we don't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, get okay. into this plot. 
Yeah, so Muffy is cleaning at the basement in anticipation of her guest's arrival, and she stumbles upon a jack-in-the-box, and we get this flashback to a childhood birthday party, and a creature that scares her, and it totally makes you think of, like, Prom Night, and all these other movies that have a weird cold open. It's a great way, though, of using your opening credits as a flashback Mm -hmm. sequence. I think that's actually really cool. Okay, question. Does she actually Mm -hmm. have a twin sister, or does she not? She She doesn't, right? No. So the flashback to this birthday party is what? (laughs) A plot (laughs) hole? I don't know. I mean, I guess hypothetically she could. Like, if not, she elaborately stages a photograph later as well as the growing up signature on the wall. Uh, But I always uh, just thought that she was kind of like an escape room artist where she spends a lot of time working on those props. Well, I took the photograph as just like, um, it wasn't her. It was just some other twins on, on their property or something. I don't there know. you go. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't bother me at all. And this isn't either because I don't care. But <laughs> I'm just like, wait, why are we flashing back to this thing? I don't, it doesn't doesn't really make a lot of sense. It does give me a lot of happy. Oh, isn't there a Muffy and happy birthday to me? Mm, there might be. Because the end of this movie does also remind me of Happy Birthday to Me. absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, anytime a movie ends with a big murder party, then it's probably going to remind you of all the other murder parties. Yeah. There is... Nope. Nope. No Muffy in that movie. Um, Maybe I'm just thinking of this movie. (laughs) Maybe you just got Muff on the brain. Uh, Media Muff. Which, by the way, I rewatched all the screams this past weekend, and I totally caught the Media Muff, and I was like, what?! It's so offensive. (laughs) It's so funny. Okay, so back on the dock, we are introduced to Nan, Leah Pinsent, and she is an outsider to the group. She knows Muffy from their acting performances, and I think Nan suggests that she worked on costumes or something. So this is your first cue that Muffy is an actress. Yes, and so I guess, yeah, we can really go through these characters then. Um, So Nan is like your kind of... Just like your it. Mormon friend. Yes, that's basically the vibe we get. The, the opening uh, interview sequence is Nikki, who's the quote-unquote slut of the group. Mm-hmm. She is played by Deborah Goodrich. Yes, uh, which that must have been confusing on set. Deborah Foreman and Deborah Goodrich. Goodrich. Yeah, I'm, which Deb do you want? Jesus. I'm sure one went by Debbie and one went by Deb. It's totally fine. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, so Nan is... And I, thought, I swear I recognize Nan from something, but... She hasn't really done anything that I know. I think she reminds me of, um, oh God, is it Boof in Teen Wolf? Oh God. <laughs> I'd love that you think I would know. Oh, Teen Wolf seems like something that you would have grown up with. I don't know. No. Okay. Not well, really. yeah. ignore me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we also have Late Arrivals Rob, played by Ken Olant, and he is bringing along. I was uncertain whether or not the others know Hal, who is played by Jay Baker, because they seem to make fun of him a lot, but I don't know if that's just because he's such a square, or if they're like, oh my god, Hal, you're so Hal. I got that impression too. No, so yeah, so Rob Kent Oland, so people may know him from Summer School, which is a very underrated 80s teen comedy. Okay. With Kirstie Alley. um, And Leprechaun, he's in Leprechaun. He's uh, this guy in Leprechaun. But yes, with Hal and... I'm sorry, Harvey slash Hal. Like, mm-hmm. That's his thing <laughs> in this movie is that he keeps telling people that his name is Hal. <laughs> and they're like, sure, Harv. <laughs> it's, yeah, I don't really get it. But honestly, both Harv slash Hal and Rob are the least interesting characters in this movie to me. 
Uh, see, I kind of, I mean, I love Amy Steele, who plays yeah. Kit, and she is Rob's girlfriend, but I find the pair of them are your classic final two, super boring, because they are your protagonists, right? So they're just right. like Jane. So, okay, so so do you like, so do you don't like the character of Kit very much? Like, you prefer the other characters to Kit? I mean, here's the thing. Amy Steele is bringing a shit ton of personality to the character. So I like Amy Steele, but I don't think Kit is an interesting character. <laughs> Whereas Ken Olin is not bringing a lot to Rob, I find. He's bringing big 80s hair. And that's about all I'm getting. Oh, and very high-waisted men's briefs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm hearing is that you like the high-waisted briefs. Got it. Yeah, I, I, I... Whatever. We can talk about the costume in a minute. Okay, so also in this group, we've got Skip, who is played by Griffin O'Neill, and then we've got Arch, as we mentioned before, and then the final no, wait, member... Wait, wait. Sorry, we're just skipping over Griffin O'Neill. Now, y'all may not know who Griffin O'Neill is, but the name O'Neill should hold some weight for some people. Mm -hmm. He is the sibling, the brother of Tatum O'Neill, and the, I want to say the son of Ryan O'Neill? That sounds about I think right. so, yeah. But, and this might be in poor taste... But <laughs> that's never stopped us. It's never stopped us. Apparently, shortly after this, he Rebecca Gayhearted, and by Rebecca Gayhearted, I mean he accidentally manslaughtered Francis Ford Coppola's son and killed him. Yeah, they were on a boat. It sounds like there was some kind of intoxication related thing. Like he was not meant to be driving a boat, and then he accidentally clotheslined this guy. Ugh. I mean, Ugh. we won't dwell on it. But no. But also, I. I prefer to call it brandied. Wait, what, what is that reference? Well, brandy rear-ended someone and killed them. Did not know that. Okay. Well, so, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> your homework is to go research Brandy's manslaughter and Rebecca Gayhart's manslaughter, and then you'll know what we're talking about. Ugh. Wow, we are terrible. Yeah, we're really bad. That's really upsetting. <laughs> um, um, your fun fact about Griffin O'Neill is that apparently he is also an absolutely terrible person in terms of auditioning. It sounds like he has had pretty severe addiction problems throughout most of his life, which yeah. maybe contributes to that. But uh, Fred Walton says that he brought him in for an earlier gig that they did together. And this kid would literally not even pay attention to him when he was talking. It was like... Here is this actor who would like a job, and he's reading a magazine while well, talking to the director. That kind of explains, though, why he's in this movie, like, for so little time. Because watching it, I was like, wait, you have an O'Neill. Granted, it's not Tatum O'Neill. It's not a famous O'Neill. But you have mm -hmm. an O'Neill. Why aren't they in this movie anymore? And that kind of explains it. Actually, it doesn't, because apparently he was a really hard worker. So it was like, if you could just get them on set, then they were fine. But apparently Griffin was uh, their first choice for Skip because they wanted someone who was going to be, like, very dynamic. And that was the energy that Griffin brought to the set. For the five minutes of screen time he has, sure. Apparently so, yeah. All right. Uh, so the final member of the group is a videographer, Chaz, who is played by Clayton Rohner. And I will say that this is the person who I think has actually had the best career out of all of these kids. I don't know what he's... I mean, so I, I pull, like, he was in this movie, I Madman from the 90s, which I don't like, but whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And he's also in the Human Centipede 3. <laughs> Well, uh, people who appreciate really good crime procedurals will recognize him from Murder One in the mid to late 90s. He's done a lot of television, which is maybe why you don't know him quite as well. Mm. I knew him from a television show called Good vs. Evil, which was super fun. He had a bit role on Jack and Jill. He showed up in like 
Daybreak, Jake 2.0, Angel, Crossing Jordan. So he okay. he does a lot of guest spots. You are not saying anything I'm familiar with until you get to Angel and Crossing Jordan. Like, that I get. <laughs> but, you know Jack and Jill? Uh, I've heard, heard, that was a WB show, right? It was, yeah. Okay, I think I would always get that confused with Zoe, Duncan, Jack, and Jane. Right, okay. <laughs> Reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never seen either either one. I don't know what they are. Except that Summer okay. Blair is in the Zoe one. Correct. Yes. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Not but important. Good for you. Good for you for <laughs> good for you, Clayton Roner. Yeah. So our introduction to these kids while they're on the ferry is actually pretty telling about their character. So when you watch it, it kind of seems like, oh, why are we spending all this time? But this is actually really good character development. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. I, I enjoyed watching all of them interact. Like, this is something that you don't get from, say, a Friday the 13th film. Mm-hmm. And it was like, even in something, oh, we discussed recently, oh, The Ranger, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, if you just gave me five minutes of watching these kids like hang out and interact with each other. And this movie does that. And yeah, granted it took me a while to figure out the names of everyone. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And half the names are just like, could you not have gone just a little more distinct? Like the boys in particular, Arch and Chaz and Skip, they all sound like weird nicknames. <laughs> and I, cause honestly, I, I was getting Chaz and Skip confused for a lot in the beginning and also kind of Rob and Hal too. Like I think mm-hmm. there's like the guys all have these pairs well, and I, I honestly, the girls do too, because I was kind of getting Nan yep. and Nikki confused for a bit too. <laughs> I actually had in my notes for like the first half, I actually had, I think, Hal as Kit. And then it was like halfway through, I realized, oh, Kit is actually Amy Steele. The girl. Never mind. Yes. They've just done the usual thing where they name the final girl a boy's name. So in my notes, I put Nikki is the slutty one, Arch is nice, mm-hmm. Chaz is a horn dog. Homely girl, I didn't know her name yet, but that's Nam. Homely girl <laughs> likes to sew and needs to study. <laughs> Skip go. is a jokester with the switchblade and reads porn. But I think porn is the Chaz one because... Correct. Yeah. He's reading porn with Nikki. And then I put ha- Harvey goes by Hal and is Southern. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit confusing. I think it's funny that you think Arch is the nice, funny one. Well, no, the first scene he has, he seems nice. Like, like before he starts becoming kind of a douchebag. I, I, I was very, very entranced with um, Mr. Wilson in this movie. <laughs> I see. I liked his t-shirt, which looks, it has two stripes, so they kind of look like he's wearing suspenders. Oh, yeah. All right. I didn't notice. Okay. Listeners, we've discovered that Joe doesn't do scores. I don't do costumes. I don't pay attention to that shit at all. So mm-hmm. that's how we, we're like two pieces of a puzzle. We complete each other. There we go. Oh, the perfect <laughs> union. <laughs> okay, so we're getting to know all of these kids. Skip and Arch are playing a game of, I don't even understand the rules. They throw a switchblade into the ground and occasionally Arch falls over. Don't really understand what's going on there. I thought they were just throwing a switchblade. I didn't really think that there was anything else to it. <laughs> I don't know. There's like a certain amount of homoeroticism in this movie between yeah. nearly all the boys except for Hal. <laughs> yes, and th- but th- there's little beats in here that are kind of nice. I really appreciated whenever um oh god Chaz walks up to Nikki and he has his magazine and she's just like sitting there and he goes <coughs> what are you reading <laughs> like it was just like it was just a cute little endearing moment. I liked it. It's true, except that that's actually with Nan and not Nikki, because God it's Hal it. who's trying to hit on Nikki, God and she, of course, it. is sunbathing and having none of it. Yes, that is correct. That is true. Oh, yes, because Nan is study. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Oh, yeah. God, sorry, y'all. 
it's fine. It's fine. So we're getting to know these people. The island finally comes into view, and then we get this accident. So Arch accidentally throws his switchblade into Skip as Skip falls overboard and requires rescuing. Now, this is very quickly revealed to be an April Fool's prank, so the first of many to come. When you know that... Well, uh, you find out immediately, but... I don't know. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, like, practically. No. Like... <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. You see the switchblade later, and it has, like, a blood valve and some kind of thing that could be attached to a body. But you're like, but we just watched him throw that directly into him in front right. of every okay okay well you gotta the, suspend a certain amount of disbelief on this one for sure which is again totally fine yeah yeah so skip is quickly recovered from the water but buck who was one of the fairy crew members played by mike nomad has actually dove into the water and he is still there he's trying to throw a rope onto the dock so that the fairy i guess doesn't float away after they turn yeah, it they off. have they have to tie it to the the metal thing yeah, I don't know why he was required to be in the water. He should have come I, I out. don't either. <laughs> I put that in my notes as well. I was like, why is yeah. he in the water? But I, I think maybe it's because he dove in after Skip, and so he was already in the water. So he was like, eh, might as well stay and get this thing up there. I think so as well. So he has made a bad decision because he has put himself directly in the path of the ferry, and the guy driving the ferry does not see him until the very last minute, so he ends up getting his face fucking crushed between the boat and the dock. And yep. uh, it's not bad. It's not, but then he comes up and he's got, yeah, he's got his eyeball hanging out. Yeah. I don't understand how he gets this prosthetic on his face. In the water. In the water in a five seconds, if I'm being generous, time span. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we do discover at the end of the film, spoilers, he is the makeup artist, so presumably he would be very adept at handling it, so maybe he just practiced a shit ton. I need to see a life, like a Mythbusters of this. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it would not hold up under scrutiny. But nevertheless, at this point, we think this is real, like, and it looks really, really good. Like, it's some yeah. great eyeball stuff. Oh, yeah. It's also one of my biggest fears. Like, I, I actually water, well, not anymore, but I used to water ski quite a bit when I'm, we would go to the lake. Oh, fun. Yeah, I, I love it. But jumping in the water and having the, or like even if the boat's like stationary, like I would always get so nervous going to the back, cause the ladders in the back of the boat Ooh, to climb up. You like a little propeller action, do you? It terrifies me. And every time I climb up the back of a boat, I'm always like, what if this propeller starts right now? It's terrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, this is one of those things where movies have also conditioned us to believe, like, if you are near a propeller, you will probably die. (laughs) Yep. Yep, 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 yep. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so Buck is not okay, but it's fine because Constable Potter, Tom Heaton, is actually right nearby. He drives up in his boat, he grabs Buck, and the two of them are spirited away. And at this (laughs) point, everybody's like, wow, that was crazy. Let's go up to this palatial mansion. Yeah. Yeah. I love, the, well, yeah, that that's kind of bizarre. I love the <laughs> setting of this, though. Honestly, like, I was like, I want to go there. And it, it was filmed in your, not hometown, of no. uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. which <laughs> It was filmed in Victoria, which is not Vancouver, but it is on Vancouver Island. Which is not near you. It's on the other side of Canada. Correct. Okay. Yes. It's, it's on the California side. Yes, correct. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting better. You are, yeah. So people, if you're ever looking to vacation, Vancouver Island legitimately is a very nice place to go. It has better weather than most of the other places in Canada because it's on the coast. So um, this mansion 
is gorgeous. We discovered that this is the first stage of Muffy's inheritance following her mother's death. They uh, find that she has used dolls as table settings, and Nan remarks that it is just like Agatha Christie. So, like, Nan is on to this shit from the yeah. very beginning, very clearly. <laughs> Which, it kind of would have made more sense than to kill her, f- I mean, and quote-unquote, kill mm-hmm. her first. Or have her in on it. Yes. Ooh, see... If the movie had framed Nan as the final girl because she's the kind of virginal, chaste girl, right? that could have been really cool, too. Like, like, like a psycho thing, you know? And mm-hmm. just kill her immediately. Right. Yes. Yeah, that would have worked as well. Okay, so in our rewrite, that is what we're going to do. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, then we get another great kind of relationship-building scene in which the girls, Saul's Nan... Go through a Cosmos sex quiz, and again, we get a little bit more insight into I love personalities. This. Well, apparently, the, 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 so this scene was not in the film. So you mentioned how they made up their own answers, but this scene wasn't even in the film. It's because one of the girls actually did bring a Cosmo and was doing this with them. And mm-hmm. Walton was like, oh, let's put that in the movie. Yeah, these are the kinds of things where you think, wow, inspiration strikes, and we get a really fun kind of memorable scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And I also love the sexual frankness of all the people here yes actually the the women especially but yes yeah yeah women are also like the sexual instigators in this film which i quite liked well and they that they even bring up lesbian sex is Mm -hmm. i mean for 1986 oh and yes absolutely and it's not even although they do call it anal entry (laughs) yeah but but, but again (laughs) next time i get fucked i'm gonna be like can you anally enter me please no no (laughs) no no, sir, to that. But anyway, but, but none of it's treated as a joke. And I kind of like that. Like, it's kind of funny. Like, I, I laugh because I was like, oh, these 80s people. Meh. But it was still really funny to, like, watch them, like, do this. Well, yeah, I think just the acknowledgement. There isn't, like, ew, this. It's kind of like, so, ladies, what are you uh, interested in? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great way to get to know them. Yeah. And outside, the the guys are kind of doing the same thing. So this is when Chaz is delivering, or this is when Chaz is filming Arch delivering his Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous monologue. And it's it's cute. You know, because he's doing a very effeminate affectation mm-hmm. of his voice. But there's no gay joke, which I also appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. And even when there is kind of a gay joke, it's not, ew, gays. It's kind of like, <laughs> let's be gay. We'll get there. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and the joke about Nan, which is, oh, I'm, I want to fuck everyone except Nan, because, you know, she's in theater. And it's like, mm, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. As opposed to just the fact, oh, like, she's dowdy and maybe wouldn't be interested. Yeah, exactly. Or because she just had an abortion. Oh, okay. I know. So at dinner, the group plays a series of gags on one another. So Nan gets a whoopee cushion. <laughs> Arch gets a chair that falls, and they do comment briefly on Buck, so it's not as though they've completely forgotten about it, but well, at the same Skip time, Skip is still really fun. upset. Skip is, like, yeah. very disturbed. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so. Rightfully so, because <laughs> at this point, he does still think it's his fault, right? No. No, he's in it from the get-go. Well, he's playing that role. Yes. Okay, got it. We'll hear Nikki later on be like, none of this would have happened if not for what had happened on the boat with Nick. Or sorry, with uh, Buck. Buck. Yeah, but, but, but no, because he introduces himself as Muffy's cousin, but he's actually her brother. Correct. So he's known about this setup from the get-go, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Well, that makes his death seem a bit more questionable, but yes, okay. 
<laughs> okay, uh, so we also get to hear a little bit about Rob's application to medical school, which is his defining character trait, but it also sort of comes to nothing, so who could care? Yeah, it's fine. Uh, and then we get a couple of toasts about the enduring spirit of friendship, which becomes important as well later on. I like this, and I actually had read that um, the first time they shot this scene, the cast was very low in. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Energy and uh, the director Fred Walton was like, "Y'all, <laughs> get <laughs> this better. is your first night. Come on." <laughs> yes, and so he had them basically reshoot the entire scene, and it was much obviously, as we see, much livelier. Yeah, I mean, this feels like a dinner with friends. Like they're yeah. making fun of each other. They're having a good time. They're probably drinking a little too much, and then everybody retires to the bedrooms, and there's more pranks. <laughs> There's more pranks, but I do have to say that, okay, I don't fully understand why Nikki talks to Muffy about Arch, considering that she then hooks up with, uh, Chaz. with Chaz for the well, rest no, no, of the no, movie. No. But... I, no, I, I thought that she said that she wanted to, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so she says she wants Chaz and Muffy, and she tells Muffy Chaz is off limits. And she's like, you can have Harvey. She doesn't want Harvey. Nikki thinks Harvey is gross. Okay. The thing I really wanted to point out is just there's a very funny description of Arch at this point. He only has two expressions, collar up and collar down. And I thought it was oh. the funniest description of a character I've ever heard. That's clever. I like that. Um, I do want to rewind a tiny bit because there's a point in the dinner party when they're all like, we don't know what we want to do. And I was like, oh, it's a bunch of privileged white kids mm-hmm. <laughs> who are rich, who don't know what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Fucking like living it out on this secluded mansion. Yeah, there's a bit of a class critique in this film, but because we don't have anyone from any other class, it doesn't really follow through. But I know Rob is from a different class because that's his conversation with kid on the boat is they're arguing and he basically talks about a privileged elite liberal college that they're all going to because we find out later that they all go to Vassar, which is like very hoity toity. And he is studying to become a medical doctor. like, he's struggling to try to get into it because he doesn't quite have the grades of the Ooh, privilege. okay, not gonna lie, I miss that. But okay, it does make the ending then kind of more interesting to me because it's like, oh, the rich kids then are pranking these poor people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess you could call it a little bit of revenge because at the end of the day, Muffy is using all of these kind of quote-unquote lowbrow people to right. get her revenge on them. Makeup people. Yeah. Boat people. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, so then everybody retires and we discover like a series of secrets. Everyone has a kind of curated clue in their room. So Hal finds a series of articles about car accidents, which come to nothing. Arch (laughs) finds drug paraphernalia in the bathroom, which comes to nothing. Yeah, I didn't really understand like, I mean, it's heroin paraphernalia. Like it's, it's, it's it's a kit for that. Mm hmm. I mean, the only one that means anything is the baby crying for Nan. Yes, yeah. And the only other one that really comes into play, I mean, there's S&M gear for Nikki, which they use for sex. But Do, uh, Are they using it during that sex scene? Not during that sex scene, the, the one where he ends up dying. 
Oh, oh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Uh, and the only other one that really comes into play is obviously the painting that is in Kit and Rob's <gasps> room, which has no eyes. I loved that. Though. That was really cool. It is fine. Yeah. So this is our first indication that something has really genuinely upset Nan. None of the rest of the people seem all that bothered. They're all kind of like, ah, and then Nan freaks the fuck out. (laughs) Yes. She gets very upset. Okay. Now, Trace, the moment has come. The $64,000 question. Everybody goes to bed except for Chaz and Nikki. They are having some kind of sex. I think Arch walks in on them, too. That's how we see them. Arch is going through the rooms. We get the impression he walks in on them, but then he just closes the door, and then we cut back to them later. Well, no. Okay, so I I thought, because he walks in, we see them humping, I think, and they look, and then it cuts to him, and he closes the door, and then it cuts back to them, and they just continue. Mm. I thought he just opens the door, and then you see him kind of like, uh, and then he closes the door again. (laughs) I mean, maybe, 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 but it doesn't matter. This this position, mm-hmm. I couldn't, because the covers kind of covered Well, they're them. hiding her boobs and then yes. both of their Which, crotches. you know what? Good for you, movie. You're not, like, giving the straight men what they want. That's cool. Mm-hmm. There's no tits in this movie at all. I don't, I don't understand what... It doesn't look comfortable for either one of them. It's no. like, it's like her leg is, like, off to the side, but then the other one is kind of up. And then he's on his knees... I think? I don't know. I don't, I don't think he is. Basically, like, if you took two dolls, bent them at the waist, and then mashed the crotches together. Yes. But, yeah, one of them has a leg up, and then I think he is holding onto the bars. So he's, like, almost reaching past her body, which I don't think would give him a lot of thrust. Just saying. Yeah, the logistics of this entire thing do not make any sense. Mm-hmm. But do you have a name for it? Um... And you should, because I gave you a fucking prompt for this yesterday. You did. And Andrew Andrew just messaged me, and he goes, it's a Kama Sutra position, I'm pretty sure. I want to reply to him and be like, Joe said he looked in the Kama Sutra, and he said it was not there. <laughs> no, I said it is there, but it doesn't have a name. Oh, okay. Um, oh, man. I didn't... I, I ended your... Uh, hmm. Wow. You did no homework for this. <laughs> no, I did not. Um, The... The Bent Over Barbie. Mm, okay. I like mm-hmm. it. I like it. Mm-hmm. So I describe this as the single bed horizontal shimmy. That's really long and complicated. Do you want to do the single bed horizontal shimmy, Joe? <laughs> or do you want to do the <laughs> the Bent Over Barbie, which is an alliteration? You think you get points for alliteration, Ooh! do you? The Bent Backwards Barbie. But no one is back. I would argue that one of them is bent backwards. <laughs> Agree to disagree. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Wait. Um, also, rewinding again, when they are at the dinner, <laughs> there's the way that um, Deborah Foreman, her inflection of <laughs> April Fool. I just really love it. But I don't understand why they keep saying April Fool. Isn't it April Fools? April Fools? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. like, it happens more than once. Apparently Deborah Foreman, her first audition was very not good. And then she came in the second time, like, and blew Nailed them out it. of the water. Yeah. Yes. And I'm sure it had something to do with Buffy. But I just loved how she's, like, laughing, laughing. <laughs> April Fool. And it's, like, this, like, immediate change, which foreshadows her change to Buffy later. Like, it, well, in the next scene, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, before we can get to the next morning, when we first get our appearance of Buffy, mm-hmm. we have to get rid of Ship. So Ship Skip. wanders off. Skip. Skip. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck. We have to get rid of Skip. So Skip, drunkenly, seemingly drunk, wanders down to the dock. He has a literal cat scare, which I did not appreciate. Uh, I viewed it as a joke. You think so? Like an acknowledgement? Yeah, not, not like, oh, not that Muffy put it there, but like the movie is saying, haha, cat yeah. scare. <laughs> you literally expected this, and here it is. Yeah, but yeah. what I was saying is, though, so like, if we assume that Skip has known about this from the get-go, this entire sequence doesn't make a lot of sense, because he can just walk away and disappear instead of get quote-unquote attacked by someone in this boathouse. This is true, yeah. It almost would have made more sense to have just had him drunkenly come down the stairs and go into the boathouse and then just have the lights turn off. Because then yeah, you could just be exactly. like, oh, yeah, he wandered away. But we, because we think we're watching a slasher film, assume right. that he's been taken care of. For sure. So in any case, something happens to him. And then we cut to the next morning. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we immediately notice that Muffy looks very different. She is awkward. She's skittish. She looks afraid. Her hair is a fucking mess. Well, no, her bangs are gone. That That's literally her cosmetic change is that her bangs are pinned back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She also looks like she like stuck some kind of fork into a power outlet or something because that hair is kind of. fried looking. I appreciate this so much. I think her her performance as Buffy is quite fascinating, and I think it's really good. Oh, it's great! Yeah, like she she full blown changes, and it's kind of hysterical because virtually nobody notices. <laughs> Well, because Kit kind of does, but no one says anything until later when it's like, oh, we're lampshading it. And it's like, you haven't noticed that Muffy's been all fucked up all day? (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so as the guys are outside playing homoerotic soccer with lots of physical contact, Mm -hmm. we see Nan stalking Muffy off to a nearby shed. And then we get a little bit of sexy sex with Kit and Rob down in the pool house, or sorry, in the boat house. I wrote in my notes that Kit initiates some quiet, Quaker, non-aggressive sex, because that's what Arch well, says when they come back. My thing with this is, so we actually have to sit through them prepping their sex spot. And it's just Kit laying a towel down, a not very large or fluffy towel, down mm-hmm. on this these wood planks. Yes. <laughs> and I was I looked at my husband and I was like, does that look comfortable to you? Because it does not look comfortable to me. I mean, when you start to think about all the places that movie characters have sex, like sex on the beach where you're just going to get sand up the veg or the butt. I've seen people have sex on rocks in movies, and all I can think of is, man, I guess when you want it badly enough, you will take some sharp objects in the back. Literally? Yes. Yeah, literally. (laughs) And because we're about to find Skip's dagger? Switchblade? Dagger. Switchblade. Sure. No, it's a switchblade. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so his body floats by them. They freak out. They come back up to the house. They bring everybody down. They find the broken and bloodied switchblade, and everybody starts to get very tense. We also, at this point, get a very tearful Nan confronting Muffy about the tape in the kitchen, and we see Hal overhearing them. So at this point, Skip is missing. So people deduce, all right, we got to go out and see if we can find him. So Arch goes searching into the woods, and at this point... Pretty much taken care of. He gets scooped up into a trap and nearly bitten by a snake, and then a pair of shoes appear. I love the snake, though. The snake... So, 
I thought that this was like a legit part of the prank until later when she's like, I'm sorry about the snake. <laughs> yep, the snake nearly derailed things. <laughs> it's kind of terrifying though, right? Like, I, I don't know if it was a real snake or not. It is a it, real snake. Okay, it looks real and it is just fucking primed to strike for like a good 30 seconds of this happening. Mm-hmm. It is, it's probably the only scene, even on a rewatch, where I was like, okay, this is kind of suspenseful for me. Particularly when he gets hung upside down and he starts to swing a little bit and you're just like, God Snake is ready to go. And then, of course, if you don't know the twist ending, you're like, oh, the killer's nice. They just like kick over the snake. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Good snake. You kept him here until I arrived. And I mean, that's kind of how a lot of these kills work, though, right? It's like the character like looks shocked at the camera and then cut away. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's very like you never see a death blow. You never see them freak out even that. That's also the other thing that I have an issue with when you know the way that the film ends. These people are genuinely scared. They would be panicked. They would be screaming. They would be crying. And half the time it's just like, what? Somebody just comes up to them and is like, oh, hey, you're dead now. I'm going to need you to pretend to be dead for the rest well, of the movie. <laughs> my big thing was like, if this was made today, someone would have a gun. <laughs> And someone would get killed by accident. Yes, yeah. It's hinted at that it's a possibility, and then it's just kind of like, oh, we also dodged a bullet there, literally. Exactly. Okay, so at this point, Skip and Arch have both been taken care of, and Kit starts to really freak the fuck out, so she wants to call the constable, but they can't get a hold of him. At this point, it's also revealed that there is no water in the mansion, so Hal and Nikki have to go to the well. Yes. Okay. Uh, sorry. No, you're right. Um, this is where I was going. Because there's a really funny line coming up that I just, I actually cackled at. <laughs> okay. I'm guessing it's when they get to the well? Nope, it's afterwards, but continue with your well story. Okay. So the two of them go to the well. Muffy is like, Kid, don't worry about the disappearances. Everything's fine. And then we cut it's to totally the well. totally fine. And then she like shuffles away. She's like, Ugh! Yeah, she's like, I can't be bothered. Bye! (laughs) Bye! (laughs) Okay, bye! So, at the well, uh, we have... This is like Beavis and Butthead try to draw water from a well. Hal loses the bucket, Nikki loses the flashlight, and then one of them has to climb down. And of course, it's not going to be Hal, because he's a fucking prudish dick. Yeah, he's boring as fuck. (laughs) So Nikki decides to climb down, and this girl swear to god looks like she has never been on a ladder before because she is so rickety going down these rungs and a part of me appreciates it because there might be condensation they don't look the safest of course one of them ends up falling out of the wall and she falls in but Mm -hmm. she also literally looks like she has never climbed down something in her fucking life and apparently this was really fucked for her because the crew kept like putting their cigarettes butts in the well so she oh ew yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and they dyed the water to make it look like muddy and gross, but it, it was clean. Of course, then we get the cigarette butts. Apparently, mm. she left this this shoot with an ear infection. Oh, nasty! Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not fun. <laughs> but then we yeah we get these these decapitated heads and and yeah a and body. <laughs> unexpectedly Nan's body whose throat has been slit. So like we saw we saw Nan crying after she confronted Muffy and it seemed very dramatic but then it's like nope we will not address this again until later because Nan is apparently dead her throat has been slit. And we will talk about this later but everyone in case you missed it yes Nan apparently had an abortion and so the fact that the prank for her was a recording of a baby crying in her dresser really triggered her understandably so (laughs) rightfully so because that is the biggest dick move like holy shit muffy (laughs) yeah and we'll talk about her her quote-unquote apology later yeah 
because it it does not satisfy. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay, so at this point now we are down. Skip, Arch, and Nan. Nikki and Hal are actually fine. I totally remembered this was the point where they get cut out of the movie, but they're okay. Well, so we just okay. got back to the house and they're fine. Yes, but this is my favorite part. I think Muffy slash Buffy brings Nikki a glass of water and she looks at it and goes, Oh God, not the water! Because <laughs> she just came out of the well. <laughs> yeah, and Muffy's like, it's Perrier. And I was like, these bougie brats. <laughs> See, <laughs> they could have done more with that. Yeah, they don't play into the class stuff quite as heavily as I might have anticipated, but uh, there's still some good stuff. And this is one of those things where I thought Nikki would have been one of the first people to go. So the fact that she right. actually stays around so long, because she's delivering lines like this and reactions like this for most of the movie. Yeah, and she and she's entertaining. She and Chaz, I think, are the most fun characters in this film for me. I'll still say Arch is up there for me, but yes, I agree. Okay. It also has nothing to do with the fact that I kind of find Chaz attractive. No, I mean... Even though at this point he is wearing literal pajama bottoms, a t-shirt, and a vest. Chaz is totally fuckable. I will give you that 100%. Thank you. Thank you for letting me have that. No, I'll have it. Chaz, call me. (laughs) Call me. Call me for B, anal entry. Wait, what? Clayton Roner. said that? (laughs) Clayton Roner, leave the Human Centipede 4 set and just come over to to Toronto. (laughs) Woof. Woof, 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 woof. (laughs) Okay, so uh, at this point, we also learned that there are no guns in the house. That's important. Mm-hmm. And we finally hear back from Constable Potter calls. And Rob takes the call, but we don't hear Potter's side of the conversation. Instead, we get a really... This is, I think, the only really sort of showy moment that Fred Walton gives us as a director. So mm-hmm. as they're having this phone conversation, we get a slow 360-degree pan around the group. And they are told to stay together until Constable Potter arrives. He's on his way, and he will light a flare when he arrives. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's good. I just kind of liked it. It was a bit of a showy camera moment in a film that doesn't have a lot of those. So I, think I appreciated right. it. And, and that's why, honestly, like what once the well happens, like that's kind of when I'm like, okay, this movie's starting to drag me on a rewatch because, again, I know none of it's real. So mm-hmm. it's just like as we start to lose characters, I'm just kind of like, eh, like whatever. And... I, it's not directed with a particular, like, energy. No. no. And I think that contributes to the, the the dragginess of this, like, section for me. So, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, um, that, that, at least something. It gives you something to be like, oh, that's kind of clever. Good for you, movie. Well, and I think you've kind of stumbled on something. Because, really, it feels like the very next scene should be them not trusting one another or not trusting Muffy and retiring to their rooms or, you know, sort of moving things forward. And instead what we get are a bunch of different scenes where people are kind of like sitting around, they're talking. We get the one scene where Kit finds the picture with the two girls. You know, Muffy makes a bunch of ominous declarations. Mm -hmm. Hal pulls out his handgun. Like, But it's all very low energy. Yeah. It's really not until the group kind of self-implodes when Nikki deduces using her keen fashion sense that Muffy has been acting weirdly because she's been wearing nursing equivalent shoes all day. Okay, I <laughs> loved that was the tell for them. Right? This bitch has been wearing nursing shoes. <laughs> and nobody else noticed. Like, not the hair, not the weird attitude. No. Nope. It was the fucking nursing shoes that tipped her off. I love it. I love it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so at this point, they turn on Muffy, Kit tries to defend her, and then Muffy shows up and she's acting loony bins, as usual, and that's when everybody's like, you know what, I'm kind of done, I'm gonna head up to my room for the night, so Muffy leaves, Chaz and Nikki go to their room, Rob and Kit decide that they're gonna investigate the attic, why? Okay. I know. <laughs> okay, Rob, whatever, you do you. It's so entertaining, you're not boring at all. No, and then Hal's like, I'll stand on the stairs. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Hal, you Ugh, do that. God. <laughs> so at this point, this is where we get our double murder, in quotation marks. I mean, Nikki is freaking out at this point. She wants to pack her bag. She literally talks about how she's going to swim to the mainland if she has to. And Chaz <laughs> is just like, or I could just try in these bondage masks. So, okay, I, I actually like this whole setup because he gets castrated, <laughs> quote unquote. I wish that there was more here but again it's kind of like okay if we assume that they're putting on makeup and it's a very quick turnaround you're not just gonna have a huge you know like gaping penis right wound. but here's the thing so with this it's like okay so muffy found Chaz, and you know oh said hey by the way let's present it to castrate you in full nikki i mean honestly at this point it's like just just tell them both like at the same time it's fine like why spend mm -hmm. the time to fool Chaz and then also fool nikki you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, because nobody discovers them for ages. No, not at all. Yeah. So Nikki gets overwhelmed by some figure in the closet. That's fine. We yeah. got to the attic. Kit and Rob discovered that the dining room dolls that we saw earlier have been positioned in the ways that their real-life counterparts have been killed, including Nikki and Chaz. Which they is fun. Yet. Yeah. It's very fun. So that is the cover of the new Scream Factory Blue, which is, mm -hmm. again, very entertaining. <laughs> uh, at this point, they see the flare through the window. So then they go down. I think this is actually the other moment that's well-directed is when <laughs> Rob is like, I'm going to leave you. And Kit is left to wander through Arch's room because she gets trapped. The doorknob comes off like we yes. saw earlier. No, I, I agree. I, I mentioned this It's too. actually yeah. tense. Well, no, and, and like the way it plays with the lighting, like her shadow up against the wall. Like, and of course you have the, the fake doorknob that pulls off. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it, if you don't know the ending, it is suspenseful. Yeah, because you're, you're just waiting for some kind of attack on her. And of course, it's just actually well, Rob who comes back. <laughs> it reminds me of the scene, though, and you may not remember this, but in Friday Part 2, when she locks herself in the bathroom, and she's holding the door shut and, like, trying to reach for something, I think on the sink, and then Jason, like, bursts through the window and, like, grabs her. Oh, yeah. It's mm. one of the best jump scares. I mean, fucking Mean Girl shows that jump scare. <laughs> and so I, I think this is playing off of that. But, yeah, we don't get, we don't really get that. No. It's just Rob. He comes back. Kit decides that she's not going to leave them. So this is when they discover body after body, uh, including Hal, who is hanging in Muffy's room. Oh, my God. What's it called? Uh, hogtied. He's like hogtied almost. Mm -hmm. It's actually very impressive. And part of me was like, oh, this is also how you kind of know that there's more than one person involved because there is no way that Puffy could get that boy right. out of that position. <laughs> yes. This is where I figured, like, she she probably had Buck around to help her with a bunch of these. Oh, I'm sure. And this is also when we get the great skip. part. So so they decide to run away. And Kit's like, what about Muffy? And, and Rob's like, forget her! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Muffy. <laughs> I love that. And it's like, like, friends just being like, Fuck it, I don't care about that person. I love it. Oh, yeah, because in a real life slasher situation, I would love to think that I would be the generous person who would go looking for my friends. Fuck no, I'm down at the dock. I'm looking for the boat keys. I'm already on my way back to the mainland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know you're not a gamer, but you really need to play that Friday the 13th game because that will that will really test 
your friendship levels <laughs> on what you're willing to do. No, because you say because there's a one way you can escape is to get the boat keys and then get the gas and like get on the boat and escape. Mm-hmm. There's two spots on the boat and you can wait for someone to get on the boat with you or you could just or fucking tie tail out of there and take the boat. <laughs> It's really fun, but it's really like I, I've yelled at many a people to be like, "Fucking wait for me!" <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "What? I thought I heard something, but well, I'm already on the water." The thing with the boat is, like, Jason can swim, and so if if you're on the boat and he's in the water, he can get to you. Whereas if you're in the car, he just pulls you out of the car. But the boat, like, it's like an instant kill almost. Jesus Christ! So basically, yeah. there literally is no way to get rid of Jason. Well, no, no, you can't. There is one way to kill Jason, but it takes everyone involved to do it. And, so, and you have to pull a Jenny from Friday 2 and, like, get his sweater and get the mom's sweater. And it has to be a girl. She has to pretend to be his mom. And then you have to have Tommy Jarvis, who only comes into play when someone is killed and resurrected as Tommy Jarvis. It's really complicated. Holy so, shit. no, there's okay. no way to kill Jason. And if you do, it's it literally, you have to basically have the person playing Jason saying, cool, do this to me. Like, it's not, it's not going to work if they're actually playing the game. Anyway, I mean, okay, that sounds challenging. <laughs> it's yeah. super fun, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so at this point, we have our final two. They are down at the dock. They find the boat. Constable Potter nowhere to be seen, but they do find a very convenient letter that talks about how Miss St. John has escaped from a mental institution after three years of confinement, and she should be considered extremely dangerous. And I remember at this point, the first time I watched it, I just thought, holy shit, this movie is fucking tropey. <laughs> I know. Like a goddamn mental institution? But really? it's like, there's just a letter on the boat or in the boathouse it's like mm-hmm. here's all this exposition for you <laughs> i mean i guess they have really directed them to the boat like that's what constable potter right. has indicated for them to do but at the same time like again you're assuming that people are going to take the time to look and be like oh there's no keys but i did find this letter yeah that's exactly risky <laughs> so they get all this and then they go to the basement yeah, because they have no keys, so they have to go back to the house because they remember that there are keys in the kitchen because Muffy planted that clue earlier mm-hmm. in the film. So, in through the basement, they find a blood trail. They find Muffy's clothes in the boiler. Hmm, similar to other things we've seen. Yeah. We see marks on the wall that indicate that Muffy had a twin sister named Buffy. And at this point, no one laughs when Kit just turns to Rob and is like, Oh my god, Rob! She's got a twin sister named no. Buffy. <laughs> she 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 has a couple of those. There's one part where they're going back to the house and she looks and she's like, someone's locked all the doors or someone's closed all the windows. And I'm like, bitch, no, you don't need to narrate that for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> this is Gail Weathers reporting from Scream 2 in the audio booth and the door has no lock. <laughs> oh my God, there's no lock on this door. Nobody. Whatever shall I do? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, they also notice at this point that that eyeless portrait is back and there seem to be a pair of eyes behind it. So they pull it away and lo and behold, Muffy's decapitated head falls into their hands. I love this. This is like some fucking ring, like Amber Tamblyn's head bullshit. It is Mm kind of great. It looks really good. It is pretty great. And it really helps to escalate. Like we are moving into the final climax here. Well, yeah, but it it doesn't last that long. Like, we get Mm -hmm. this chase scene a little bit, and that's it. 
Yeah, so they immediately book it for the kitchen. At this point, Buffy is outside. She's got a giant fucking knife. She's trying to undo that lock. This shit is actually, again, also pretty tense. Because they cannot find the keys. Rob is clearly an idiot because he gets <laughs> locked in a closet. I mean, yeah, there's some kind of special latch that he can't undo. <laughs> but the the, the, jo- the the main joke of this movie is on Rob, and it's kind of fantastic because oh he's gosh, just screaming. So great. He's just, get, I love you. I, I love, love you. you, get. It is, and like even after the reveal happens, it, it comes back on. to him and he's still doing it. Still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so at this point, uh, Buffy has gotten way- her way into the kitchen. Kit is in a huge panic. They manage to position themselves so that Kit ends up having to force her way into the dining room at knife point. I think the moment that Deborah Foreman really sells it for me is when Buffy jumps up on the table and she's got yeah. that knife. And it just, you're like, she is fucking crazy. She looks feral right now. Yeah. Very unpredictable. It's really lucky for her that Kit didn't just punch her in the face. <laughs> I know, right? The fact that nobody got injured doing all of this. No, kind of it amazing. doesn't make sense. It's, it's real silly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, so in the dining room, Kit stumbles backwards. She looks around. Lo and behold, everyone, there are all of her dead friends talking playing cards, passing the time, reading. But silently. They're, they're doing it silently. So this is like yeah. the last gotcha for her. And I, at first I was like, what? And then, yes, I enjoyed this as well. Like, it's not enough that she sees that, oh, they're all alive, but oh, they're also like in this surreal world where they're not speaking. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're just completely nonchalant. It's almost like they're in a library and they're just hanging out, but being very quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so her reaction is like, what in the ever-loving it's um Fuck. it's ha 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 very funny guys like mm-hmm. okay bitch <laughs> yeah. you could throw a fuck in there but yeah sure but like amy Steele is selling the shit she oh, looks yeah. so terrified in the kitchen and then when it dawns on her what is going on she looks so pissed <laughs> i mean i i would i would be so livid if this happened to me i would be livid ugh I would be punching all of these people in the face. Absolutely. 100%. So Rob eventually makes his way in after Buck reveals himself and actually plasters the prosthetic eye goop onto his face. He is doing some crazy Cindy Campbell, I'm not crazy, running around the house. Mm -hmm. It is so great. (laughs) A lot of flailing arms. He still doesn't really, I think, get it when he busts in on everybody and... Uh, yeah, so this is where we get the reveal of what the fuck is going on. Muffy explains the whole setup. She needed a test run for an experiential weekend whodunit murder mystery. It's to prove to her father that she can handle the costs of the inheritance, which is this mansion that she got after her mom died. So Skip is actually her brother, not her cousin. Buck is a makeup artist. Constable Potter is her uncle. And even the ferryman, who is a proper ferryman, but he was called on to be an amateur actor. Yep. (laughs) And, <laughs> He's never acted before. And this is when we get the, I know some of my jokes may have gone a little too far as she mm-hmm. looks at Nan. And it's like, bitch, that is not an apology. <laughs> no. And if you pay attention, you will see that Nan will not even look her in the eye. Nan has clearly not forgiven her. And I think part of this is it's a setup for the final twist at the very end of right. the film. It would be better for me, actually, if Nan had killed her. Like, that would kind of make it better for me. Right. Well, 
We'll, uh, we'll get there in just yeah, one we'll, second yeah, because yeah. I think that actually leads us into the alternative ending. Right. So, yeah. So, basically, everything is forgiven and the beer comes out and they shower everybody with beer. They're having a good time. And champagne. Not, not beer, but yes. Is it? It's a big bottle of champagne. It's several bottles of champagne. <laughs> the bottle just looks... I don't know. Anyway. It's fine. Anyway. Um... Yeah, so true to form, we see uh, Arch making out with his own decapitated head, and we mm-hmm. see Chaz giving himself fellatio using the Muffy head. That's <laughs> These people are cool. assholes. <laughs> so then in the coda, a drunken Muffy returns to her room, and she discovers the jack-in-the-box from the opening scene is now on her bed. She hesitantly plays it, and before it can pop, or rather, as it pops, Nan slits her throat from behind, and Muffy freaks out. She's screaming, but of course, it's actually one last April Fool gag. Yep. <laughs> April Fool it. gag. <laughs> and she also says, April Fool, and kisses her. So, just in case we didn't have quite enough homoeroticness, and we did actually skip over the scene where Chaz and Arch talk about playing hide the hot dog while they fumble around in dead. Oh! And then it cuts to a hot dog being pushed out of a wrapper as if it's mm-hmm. an uncircumcised penis. Ah, it's so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not that we need one, but we do like to force queer readings onto films. I think that despite Nan's talk of abortion, I think that she is a big old lesbian for Muffy. I mean, she does love that muff. She loves the muff, but if you if you listen to the way that she talks about her, it is with deep admiration and kind of quiet longing, I think. So no, I, I don't think it's that. just like a kiss, I got you at the end. It's a kiss, I forgive you. And I want to eat that puss. I want to eat that muff. Let's do a backwards Barbie bent over. I... <laughs> That's called a call back. Baby. It's a bent over Barbie or a bent backwards Barbie. Mm-hmm. The single bed yes. shimmy. So, okay. Let's talk about, then, the ending that could have been. Okay. So, I don't actually know a ton more detail, but rumor had it that there was discussion about this film not being a proper slasher, not being scary enough. So, I don't know that they shot it. I can't imagine they would have, or else it probably would have showed up as a, some kind of special yeah. bonus feature. There's no deleted scenes on the Blu-ray. So... The original discussed ending was that after all of this, they get back on board the ferry on Sunday or Monday, and Skip actually kills or tries to kill Muffy for real because he actually wants the inheritance. Because, of course, if he's her brother, then he stands to get the inheritance if she dies. Right. But then there's also a third act, like an additional act that wasn't filmed. It wouldn't have just been a scene. I think it actually, like, it gotcha. would have been a proper murder mystery. So it wasn't like we would have had this coda and then we would have had that other scene. It would have been a whole other thing of, like, the weekend continuing, them getting onto the ferry, and then the big final act is, like, this chase or scare sequence. And maybe that explains the casting of Ryan O'Neill, because if the, if his part was originally meant to be have a bigger part in the last act of the film, mm-hmm. that could make sense. Maybe. Yeah, they don't talk about it at all in the interview. I didn't watch any of the cast interviews. Obviously, Griffin O'Neill is not one of the people that they asked to do an interview with. Right. I mean, he he's not in jail, so... Yeah, so, I mean, 
I don't know what to make of it. Like, I've always heard those rumors that there was something else. I heard that it was something substantial, but the fact that they don't talk about it makes me wonder whether this was something that never caught past the script stage. Maybe. I mean, do I want that ending? I don't know. I think the pacing would be completely fucked because this film already feels... As you said, it's a little bit draggy. Even this coda, you're just kind of like, all right, one final piece. But can you imagine then something else on top of that? Like an extra 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like it would just be too much. I mean, the 89 minutes for this is perfect. It's totally fine. I like it. I think so. Unless you were killing a bunch of them off, which could maybe happen. But even then, I just think it would feel too much like, nope, we reached the point where we got our catharsis. We figured out what's actually happening to add more on top of that. I don't right. think serves the story. For sure. Yeah, it's it's fine. This movie's fine as is. I mean, it's not perfect. It's like a three and a half for me, where I'm like, ah, it's fine. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Three and a half is better than ah, it's fine. I, I do. <laughs> I think there are, there's a lot of innovation here. I think there are a lot of really cool concepts. It doesn't fully follow through, which is why it's not above a three and a half for me. But I think it's definitely underappreciated, and I'm really hoping that more people discover it. Yeah, and start watching it because it, it, even though maybe the shock of oh, it's it's none of it's real. People will be pissed off about that, but honestly, if you go into it knowing that, it might make it more fun for you. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I'm interested to hear from people. So if you watch it and you didn't know the twist and then you saw it, let us know what you thought. And if you went into it already knowing, how did that change the way that you viewed it? So I would be interested to hear people. I find this film is somewhere between a four and a four and a half for me. Wow. I have a lot of fond memories of this one. So this was an early slasher. Like I hadn't seen a bunch of other ones before. So it felt really fresh and innovative because it was subverting and also acknowledging the tropes of the genre. Like the cat scare, all of the the twin, the ridiculousness of having an escaped mental patient, all that kind of stuff. I was like, oh my God, this is so ridiculous. So when I finally got to that ending and realized, oh, this movie's been fucking with me the whole time, I really appreciated it. It felt properly revisionist compared to the more formulaic stuff. That makes sense. All right. Yeah. I'll give it that. I I think it's good. I think it's a very good movie, just not great for me. But I I, I get where you're coming from with that because I have plenty of those good because you're wrong yeah <laughs> okay um you're entitled <laughs> to your wrong opinion that's fine <laughs> okay well um i think we're done with that i think so as well take All us right. on well before we announce what we're covering next week um if you'd like to contact us you can visit our horror queers facebook page or join our exclusive horror queers facebook group tweet the show at horror queers or email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com if you have two seconds please head on over to itunes and leave us a rating or a review uh, you can buy Horror Queers merch like t-shirts, stickers, mugs, pillows, and shit at tpublic.com. That is T-E-E-public.com. Mm, I want that Horror Queers shit. It's just like a, a piece of poop. It's literally a pile of shit. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, search for Horror Queers and we'll pop up. It'll be good. If you want more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We are recording this um, in March still, and all of the movies we were going to cover have been rescheduled, so... We're working mm-hmm. on figuring out what our April plan is, but we, as soon as we know, you will know as well. But, you know, pay for it anyway. It's gonna, we're going to give you some good content. Yeah, we're going to come up with some really good alternatives. Yes. As we're recording this, we don't know what they are, but by the time this episode drops, you will probably know, and it's going to be good. It'll be good. It'll be really good. But Joe, mm-hmm. what are we covering next week? All right, so we're going to do an anniversary. I would like to take you back to the year 2000. 
So Trace, we're going to take a look at Mr. Brett Easton Ellis's adaptation. No, the adaptation of Mr. <laughs> Brett Easton Ellis's American Psycho on its 20th anniversary. I think I'm excited about this. It's not a movie I want to rewatch often because it's just not a pleasant movie. I've read most of the book and I don't ever want to read that book again. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I mean, let's just put it up front. Brett Easton Ellis is a giant piece of shit. So yeah. as much as I think the book is well written, he's garbage. But I'm very excited to revisit the film, which has a female director and a mm -hmm. great leading performance by Mr. Bale. Yeah, it's it's great. And Chloe Sevigny in her bangs and Reese mm -hmm. Witherspoon in a scene-stealing five-minute role. It is amazing. Mm-hmm. And lots of talk about business cards. Lots of business cards and lots of white men. Lots of white men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, and a pre-Joker, Jared Leto. Yeah. And a pre-Sweet Home Alabama, Josh Lucas. <laughs> All right, move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, so on that note, uh, we can cross out April Fool's Day. Yes, and cross out Horror Queers. Free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.